the incomparable. Number 204, July 2014. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. And we're here with a little episode that I think is going to be timely. We're releasing this over Comic-Con weekend, and it's about the news. News that has happened in, in practically yesterday, or at least in the last couple of weeks. Which is, we're going to talk about recasting comic book characters. And I don't mean recasting... Um, characters in comic book movies, you know, like whoever is playing, who is playing Daredevil in this TV show? It's not Ben Affleck because now he's Batman. Uh, speaking of recasting, <laughs> and then there's different Batmans, and you wonder there's probably a chain and Captain America used to be the Human Torch, and that's not what this episode is about. This episode is about, although we may get there because we we'll go off the rails and we'll end up there. But 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 I want to state our initial premise so that you can see where we go from here. Our initial premise is there was there was news recently about how Marvel Comics is going to change the character of Thor, and there's going to be a female Thor. And she's not like a uh, another character who has now taken the mantle, and it's not like she Thor or something like that. She is going to be Thor. So the new aspect of Thor is going to be a woman. And then we also heard that, uh, as announced on the Colbert Report, that um, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, who is also, by the way, the most interesting character I thought, and the, like the best thing about uh, the, the the latest Captain America movie, which I liked a lot, but I thought the Falcon was the like awesome part of it. Um, the, that the Falcon Sam Wilson is going to be the new Captain America, um, and there's been some controversy about this, and there's been a lot of chatter because you know comic books people love talking about comic books and getting angry and arguing and all of that. And I thought we're not going to get angry, as we've said on this show numerous times. We're all friends here. We're going to come. We're going to talk. We'll leave as friends. Come as friends. Leave as friends. Um, kindness is magic. All of that. It's a, there's a there's a, an incomparable charter that you haven't read, but trust me, it's all good things. <laughs> anyway, so that's the that's the topic is what I'm saying is we're going to talk about recasting comic books comic book characters, and probably a little bit about the reasons you choose to make changes to uh, comic book characters and comic book canon. And let me, having completed my opening remarks in John Syracuse's fashion, <laughs> I am now going to introduce uh, my fantastic panel, Monty Ashley. Hello. Hello, Jason. Uh, we didn't recast you. I thought about it, but uh, we, we'll, we'll keep the original Monty. I am the original Monty. You are the original Monty, 100%. Uh, uh, Brianna Wu is back for another adventure with the incomparable. Thank you so much for being here. What's crackalackin'? <laughs> and we we had a little Twitter conversation that sort of prompted this whole episode. We so did. It was here. exciting. Yeah, it that was, was exciting. Really yeah. interesting. It was like where cynicism met optimism was on <laughs> on Twitter of all places. Who knew? <laughs> That's such a nice description of it. <laughs> really, that's that sort is, of what I, you. I love that you are able to pick the most generous, <laughs> nice interpretation of things. That's a talent. Well, there was positivity coming from a direction yeah. that I didn't expect, and negativity coming from a different. It was like everything was topsy turvy, and it was fascinating. And I thought this right. was worth a, a conversation. <laughs> David Lore is also out there. Hi, David. Hey, contractually wearing- obligated to be here. I'm wearing my officially licensed Dan Morin Boston Red Sox cap, just in case. <gasps> we recast Dan Morin as David. David Laura is now playing the part of Dan Morin. That that That's happened right. like six months ago. Nobody really noticed because you know they're similar. <laughs> they wear the same hat. It's fine. And uh, also out there is Andy Anatko. Hi, Andy. I, I just want to say that if I had known about this earlier, I could change the character of Thor. Uh, in my Blade Runner Fantastic Four fanfic, but I can't. It's too late. It's already a Kindle single. 
You're just going to have when you, when, when you get to the sex scene, it's going to be weird that it's a guy and a woman now. But I I, I could fix it if I I, w- I would if I could. But they're, they're the the pressures of the marketplace have absolutely knocked the underpinnings of this project out. It was it was going to be great, but. I guess that's a Kindle Worlds project, right? Fanfic on Kindle. <laughs> well, Kindle well, well, it's, it's in the style of, crap, of Kurt Vonnegut, but featuring Marvel superheroes. And can I pay Amazon ten dollars a month and just download as much fanfic as I want? Because I would totally do that. That would be great. Uh, Jeff Bezos, if you're listening, yeah, come on, <laughs> come on, free market, dude. Let's get to it. That's it. If anybody could make people pay for fanfic, it would be Jeff Bezos. He would find a way. <laughs> fanfic Prime. Um, what have you done? So, yeah, this news came out, and, it, and it's interesting. So, the, the Twitter conversation that I alluded to, that, that that Brianna and I had with some other people on Twitter, uh, Josh Sanders was in there. There was a bunch of people in there, uh, and, and and I was definitely um, when I read the news, I had um, I had two thoughts about the about the Thor recasting, and one of them was uh, was it's great to see Marvel doing um, some things about. Diversity. I thought about a conversation we had about um, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies and how they inherited um, a cast that, although at the time in the 60s was diverse, it turned out to not be, by our standards today, not be particularly diverse. There's one woman. Um, there are only two people of color in that on that show. And so I thought about the Thor recasting. I thought, well, you know, this is another strong female character they're bringing in, like Ms. Marvel, like Captain Marvel, and that's great. But I also had my comic book fanboy burn too many times reaction, which was <laughs> this is a this is a publicity stunt. Um, this is going to be undone in six months. And I, I felt kind of offended because I felt like you could choose to be uh, like in, create new strong female characters or you could do like use it for a publicity stunt and for me that kind of goes to the heart of this is there are there, there for me there's a question and and maybe it doesn't really matter in the end i think that's worth discussing but it's it is i wonder is marvel being um diverse because they truly believe that they need their characters to reflect more accurately reflect the world or or is this a cheap publicity stunt and why can't it be both i suppose is the other way <laughs> oh. to view it so brianna you, you know you and i were given this and i your your perspective on this was really interesting which if if i can simplify it down and then i'd love you to expand on it is sure. is you know what it sort of doesn't matter what their motivation is the fact is that girls who pick up a comic book now are going to see thor as this strong woman yeah. and that that yeah. matters so let me, since you know I'm the only woman on this panel today, let me share a perspective about what it's like to be a female comic book fan. Um, so you go to the comic book store, and you're overwhelmed with like women in super sexual poses with giant boobs, and it's constantly this experience of like, where am I represented here? Where are my heroes? Where are people I can relate to? And you know, if you go down the list of movies just in the last few years, um, I'm just going to list some of them. Batman, Superman, The Punisher, Captain America, Judge Dredd, Daredevil, Hulk, Ghost Rider, Iron Man, Wolverine, Green Lantern, Spider-Man, Thor. You know, it's there's no shortage of movies and comic books featuring white straight men as the protagonist. So I just, I'm I'm really, really excited to see a character that I always thought was so boring and just the <laughs> epitome of hyper-masculinized, like, 
just blandness. I mean, I think like the actor playing Thor is very cute, but the character, I just, I don't relate or care about him even remotely. And I just thought this was such a really cool twist on a character I just had no affinity for. And he had turning Thor into this powerful, strong woman, like wearing armor and carrying a big giant hammer. That's awesome. I mean, this is completely awesome. Yeah, it's uh, also I, I should say, you know how boring Thor can be is that they have to give him a special font to... That's how I learned about different typefaces. Is why does Thor talk with a funny font? That's weird. Hey, now you're trashing Sandman. What's going on? Oh, I'm sorry. I love Sandman. Let's not trash Walt Simonson's run on Thor, which I think is one of the greatest runs ever. I do love it. I do love it. And and that's the thing. Beta Ray Bill picked up the hammer, right? That that might have been the last truly epic and really exciting run on Thor ever. I will I will allow for that, but mm. it can, it can be interesting. I, I just I just needed to defend Walt Simonson's run on Thor. <laughs> Both his scripting and his art were incredible. I I guess it's like I couldn't help but you know I've heard so many people saying you know it's a publicity stunt, it's a publicity stunt, and you know, don't get me wrong, I was burned by Superman coming back to life too. You know, like I I know. <laughs> I know where that cynicism comes from, but I think you can look at the Marvel leadership's comments on this issue, and I think you can look at what their pattern of behavior has been in the last four years, um, and it it really does seem like a genuine, honest, truthful commitment to fulfilling this um, you know this marketplace need for diversity. I mean, diversity is something the market is demanding like they're filling you know they're they're fulfilling a consumer need and it just i i I don't understand where the cynicism is coming from i feel like the traditional wisdom is that the comic books have to stay as close as possible to the movies so you'd Uh expect thor to start looking more and more like chris hemsworth Uh and for them to not only not do that but right in the middle of thor's biggest uh, mainstream success ever make a change like this, I think is actually pretty daring of them and not just mm-hmm. if it's a publicity stunt, it's not a cheap one is I guess my yeah. position. Oh. <laughs> I think that's a good point. Although I will point out that the Thor movie just came out and uh, I'm reminded in, um, of amazing Spider-Man 700 when it came out where they killed Peter Parker and they put uh, Dr. Octopus in charge of Spider-Man's body. And they said, <laughs> well, superior Spider-Man now, that's going to be the new thing. And everybody at the time cynically said, well, until Amazing Spider-Man 2 comes out. And I'm not kidding. They returned Peter Parker to his own body the month that Amazing Spider-Man 2 came out. So there is <laughs> yeah. a feeling and that's, like... Well, that's, and, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we, we've of course, we, had, we brought up uh, the death of Superman. I think that even at the time... DC was like, look, we acknowledge this is just a comic book. We are not going to never, ever again publish comics with these, one of the single most popular fictional characters in the history of fictional characters. But we wanted to spend the next year or two exploring what the DC universe would be like where Jesus Christ has been killed in front of everybody and he did not come back to life three days later. So I think these can be interesting stories. I, I don't want to say that I, I'm, I'm cynical, more like I'm just weary. It's it's this has got to be the fourth time in about a year and a half where not only has Marvel done they were putting a different person in the costume and oh this is for real this is not just a quick stunt uh, not not only has that uh, not only has that happened four times now but uh, it's 
it's just they've they've made a very very big deal in all media about how what an incredible groundbreaking thing, whereas they turned Thor into a frog, <laughs> you know during <laughs> during Simonson's during Simonson's run, and all that happened was that the last panel of a very extended battle scene between him and Loki, he's turned into a frog. <laughs> it's it's a part 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 of so part of it for me isn't that I I think they're gonna have a good time exploring. All of these different stories where the Falcon is now have to uh, an African American man has to assume the role of the uh, of iconic patriotic super uh, super soldier, and there's going to be a female role in one of the most dead butch manly he manly swaggeringly manly <laughs> swing a hammer and make everybody look at it uh, comic. Uh, but now that there's it's there it's it's the fact that they have to bring this up. Aren't we wonderful? And aren't we not afraid to kick over anthills? It's like. No, you you realize that you can get a, a spot on uh, on the Colbert Report and on the View with this news, and you can get a lot of publicity for this news. And let's just acknowledge that this is something you do because you need to get that kind of exposure and that kind of coverage. I, you start I up, think that is so cynical. That's so isn't. cynical. <laughs> it's it's separate. No, it's separate. It's there are two different uh, reactions. I think that there's the reaction to the actual comic itself, which has to wait until these comics are published, and then there's the <laughs> no, I'm I'm serious. But then the other thing is that now that you're this is being announced and we have two months to think about it, does this make me excited about buying this comic? And given that there are any given month about twenty or thirty really good comics vying for that four dollars, it's like okay, you're not showing me anything that I haven't seen in a couple of years. So but it's not it's, about you. It's about the legions yes, of for, women for, out for my, there. For, wait, wait, for, for my, for my, I'm talking about my four dollars. It is all about me. For this four dollars that I can spend or I cannot spend, it is completely about me. If I'm not excited about it, that's fine. I'm not saying that no one else should be excited about it. I'm saying that this does not make me eagerly anticipate uh, this new comic. Not, not like, not like the way that the new Ms. Marvel did, which I said, "Wow, this writer with this topic, I've got four dollars set aside for that." So again, I'm not, I'm not decrying anybody else's interest in this. I'm not even saying this is not important uh, for the larger thing in general that more people get represented. I'm saying that for four dollars in my pocket to be moving from my pocket to Marvel's uh, bank book, this does not get me that excited about it. There, there's no shortage of heroes out there for you. And the thing is, if you're a geek girl, there is a real, real lack of women that are in this role. And I know so many women that are super hyped up about buying Thor for the first time in our entire life. I mean, I've read a few Thor comic books, but when I say it's not about you, it's not saying that like you're you're not entitled to feel thrilled about this comic book but i'm saying this this whole move is not towards you it's it's actually aimed more towards people like me it's aimed towards the legion of women out there that do like comic books but don't find herself represented so i would i would respectfully say that ultimately this is not really something that it's 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 just you're not the focus here does that make sense to you yes but uh, again uh, I want to make sure that what I'm saying is clear as possible that I did not make myself clear. Mm-hmm. I'm saying th- I'm saying that uh, given that I see this idea so many times, this is not a standout idea to me. And so, the, and so I can state with absolute authority that this is not the sort of thing that gets me excited about buying the next Captain America, buying the new Captain America books, buying the new Thor books. These are two books that I have not bought in the past. 
this is, this is completely separate and has absolutely no relevance to is this a good idea? Is this a good thing? And do other people have should, should, should they be genuinely interested in this? Because everybody's going to make their own decision and have their own reaction to this. I'm saying what all I want to sort of respond to is the idea that this is a cynical response. It isn't because I'm someone who's participating in the marketplace. I have been served uh, cooked steamed broccoli many times. I have never been excited about steamed cooked broccoli. I've tried steamed cooked broccoli many times and never enjoyed it. This will affect whether you're going to excite me about saying, oh, in two months, we're going to be serving you cooked steamed broccoli. I might not show up for that dinner. But that still does not – that does not impugn broccoli as a dish. I'm just saying that you – know, So you're, this you're does, sort of saying you've – this is a Marvel – this is a Marvel story – story decision with big publicity like for example the death of the human torch and that that doesn't necessarily lead toward good storytelling not necessarily as opposed to something like well the ms marvel announcement which was a lot lower key and and is a sort of new storyline and is i mean i'm reading that too and i think it's fantastic i'm I'm just interested in that in that in that difference there that it seems to me like you're weary of the uh, of these big events being promised and not actually leading to stories that you're interested in reading or that you find no, worth no that, that that's time. not it I, I, again there there are two the, the problem is that uh, it, it was it was great when about uh, 10 or 15 years ago when comic book companies felt as though well we are not we are not ever going to get the the front page of the New York Times we are not ever going to be a story on a news program that gets 5 or 6 million people it is we are already we're always going to be sort of marketing these towards our fans and people who are aware of it and maybe friends of those fans now and so that that meant that uh, if I were already uh, an ongoing reader of Thor, I would I would get to the end of a I would get to the end of an issue and without any knowledge that this was coming whatsoever, see that oh well now that now that we we've got this new person uh, in the role of Thor, this new person in the role of Captain America, uh, and if uh, right now though we have to promote this two months in advance or three months in advance, we have two months in which I'm thinking, does this get me, again, does this get me circling a date in my calendar that this is when the new Thor comes out? I really want to check that out. Uh, that does not get me excited about it. But the, the the key thing is that's totally separate from how good these stories are going to be. I, I'm not going to make, uh, I don't think anybody can make any assumptions about, if even if they're, no matter how, if anybody is disappointed with these decisions, you have no idea how good this is going to be. I, I, I was rolling my eyes at the uh, death of Spider-Man, but that was such a wonderful uh, exploration onto the basis of the of, of herohood and what drives people to make the decisions that they make so what might happen in a few months is that again i will not be lined up to go buy this new thor but once i hear other people talking about it if they describe it in ways that really make it interesting maybe i will go out and buy it that's why i'm saying there's a total brick wall between an announcement that gets you excited two months in advance about buying this issue and how good this is going to be when it actually comes out so that this, I might make I might change that decision. I, I hear what you're saying. I, I I would suggest that I think that you might not be super aware that the degree to which the conversation about comics tends to be led and dominated by you know white straight men like that is kind of the comics culture and like you're saying this story may be good this story may be good um what i would suggest to you is that there are different measuring sticks out there for is this story good i would suggest to you that there are different measuring sticks for does this get me excited and what i would suggest to you is 
I think that Marvel is looking as a business at the current makeup of America and the people that read comics. I know so many, you know, African-American friends of mine. They're very passionate about comics. I know so many women that are passionate about comics. And I think what is happening is the industry is shifting and it's growing the same way you see video games growing right now. And it is addressing this need for diversity. So what I would suggest to you is if by your measuring stick, some of these moves don't get you excited or they don't appeal to you personally, I I would suggest that it's for different people. That I I completely agree with that. Cool. So here's here's what I see as one of the problems here, and I yeah, I, I, yeah, I mentioned yeah. this with uh, with Star Trek, which is uh-huh. I think one of the core problems is that a, a company like Marvel or and DC is in the same boat. Is it, they are an intellectual property holding company, and these days they make so much of their money, so much of the money and the value in these in these companies is in the film business, where they've got these huge film franchises. Well, Marvel's got a huge film franchise. DC has got the great run of, of Batman movies that they made, and is trying to now create something a little more like what Marvel has done. Um, huge value there. Uh, we also live in a world where some of the greatest comic book uh, creative people have realized that they um, would rather, if they're going to come up with some great new intellectual property, which is sadly how a lot of this stuff is viewed, it's not yeah. a great story. It's great intellectual property. You, they want to make, the great creators want to make that and own it themselves. And so there is a lack of um, great new characters and great new, uh, not storylines, but great new characters going into Marvel and DC because a lot of that stuff is being done independently. So there's this challenge with, like I said, with Star Trek, I see it even more so in Marvel and DC where the cast that they've inherited, their intellectual property is largely male and largely white because these are the characters that were created you know, 50, 60, 40 years ago. And I, I think when you look at Sam Wilson being Captain America and a a woman being wielding the hammer of Thor, um, what strikes me about that, as opposed to something like putting um, Carol Danvers in as Captain Marvel and and having a new Ms. Marvel, is those seem to be almost like recasting. And that's why I mentioned, I, I've been calling this recasting. The idea of, you know, our, our intellectual property base isn't diverse enough, and we can't really, it's hard for us to create new characters. So what we're going to do is mix around with the characters we've got. And I, it feels to me like that's what's happening here is that, is that, you know, they, they want to play with their intellectual property. And so while people get up in arms about it, it's not the Thor I knew, it's not the cap I knew. I feel like on one level, this is Marvel. I mean, it's bold of Marvel to say, we're going to do this to our, our core intellectual property. But at the same time, it's also like, this is what we've got to play with. We need to diversify our main line, not just add these characters on the edges that nobody's ever heard of. Well, even even there, I mean, there are certain characters that are always going to be those characters. Clark Kent will always be Superman. Bruce Wayne has basically always been Batman. But then you have, like, how many Green Lanterns have there been? How many Flashes have there been? You Three know? official, four official Flashes plus some goofy future Flashes. <laughs> right. And, you know, uh, and and those are characters that don't have the same kind of um, iconic presence for people, they know who the Green Lantern may be, but they don't know a name. They don't attach a name to that. And so you you might have your Hal Jordan fans, and you might have you may have Kyle Rayner fans, and you may have John Stewart <laughs> fans. And at least you know there's a little bit of diversity in in DC right there. 
Um, And so I kind of see this is not that far off from that. Um, Well, I I see it as very much like the Flash Flash and Green Lantern situation, which pretty much introduced the Silver Age when they said, we have these characters we haven't used in forever. Let's just keep the basic concept of the hero and introduce a whole new guy, a whole new origin story. And I feel like they're just doing that now, although because it's 2014, they're allowing themselves to be a little more original than here's a whole new white guy to be <laughs> the hero. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, think that, I think that's a good point. It, it, it's a... Um, it's, I think the difference is that in the seventies, what we saw was people said, "Hey, you don't have a lot of uh, you don't have a lot of black superheroes," and they're like, "Well, okay, we here's the Black Panther, and, <laughs> right. and, and right. here's uh, Black here's Adam, the, here's the Falcon, Aww. and here's yeah, here's 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 Black Lightning," and it's like, "Yeah, okay, it's something, it's something, right?" It, and 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 again, I can make fun of it, but at the same time, that was a legitimate attempt to create diversity in a in a place where there was none, right? But what also happened in the seventies with the um, the rise of the feminist movement was this creation of um of i don't know how to phrase it like alternate female counterpart heroes so the hulk right. was still the hulk yeah. but we made she hulk and, <laughs> and 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 you got that a lot where it was like well it's not it's not that that thor is different but now there's lady thor over here on the side right <laughs> and one of the things about that was interesting about marvel's announcement about thor was this is not Th- thorita this is not lady <laughs> thor this is thor and that, that says something too that the, the, we're not just creating like girl counterpart to important character the important character is a woman and that is part of the story and that's that is a that's a step up i think that's really interesting yeah yeah i agree with that this this might be now this is a this is a semantic issue the 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 really terrible nerd part of my brain said but wait it's so you're not making her the god goddess of thunder you're making her thor that's like saying you're not making this woman president you're making her barack obama i don't understand that yeah, I, I had. I, I think we'll we're gonna out, have to but... see the story because I had major, yeah, yeah. major nerd nerd moment there too. Because I was like, "What do you mean, <laughs> Beta Ray Bill was uh, an alien who got the hammer?" And and it'll be interesting to see how they tell the story. But I, you know, I I, I don't doubt that there is a great desire at Marvel. And I, I, I mean, Brianna, you mentioned it. I think there, I think there's a business aspect of this too, yeah. which is like Absolutely. this is not just we want to be nice. Marvel is owned by Disney. This is there's a huge amount of investment in this intellectual property. This is also about we we need to move with. The times and how do we do that and get some publicity along the way but how do we diversify this line in the new fantastic four movie the human torch is going to be played by um the michael b jordan is the name of the actor the kid from chronicle yeah the kid from the the wire and and chronicle and uh friday night lights and so that's a, a black kid is going to be playing the human torch and that's an all-white awesome. cast and now yeah. it's not and i think i think he's great and so i'm really yeah. looking forward to yeah. that so this is happening all over I, I think like you can look at Maleficent, which by all you know, by all reports, was not a well removed uh, reviewed movie. Yet it did very very well at the box office. And I know so many women that wanted to go see a movie like you know with Angelina Jolie featured. And you know, so we geek women have money to spend, and I think it's it's addressing a market need. I wanted to come back to something you said. Actually, on Twitter, Jason, mm-hmm. where you were talking about how the X universe kind of tended to do better on this issue. Um, but if you look at the last X Men movie, I was 
so phenomenally disappointed with it because who were the main characters? It was a ton of white guys. Um, you know, Quicksilver, Magneto, Xavier having another love story together, you know, Wolverine. <laughs> like, and, you know, yes, Mystique is kind of part of it, but she wasn't really as much of a main character, say Wolverine. And it, it just seems to me that even in a movie or even in a universe with a, that's as diverse as the X-Men, like here you have, again, where women are 50% of the planet, you know, and there's any number of really awesome, amazing characters. female, amazing characters yep. in that universe. It's the forces of Hollywood or whatever just kind of kill that diversity. Also, Cyclops yeah. is definitively like the most boring character on the planet. <laughs> so anytime you use Cyclops, right. I accuse you. <laughs> and, and in the story that they based the movie on, that inspired the movie... It's all about Kitty, Kitty went back Pride. in time. Kitty Pride Kitty is the Pride. main yeah. character of that story. How did she but get that power? Let's turn it into I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah. It's in the future. It's, I'll explain later. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those kind of kind of things. Yeah. There's mutant things. I liked so much about the future scenes. They established Portal Girl really well, and yeah. even though she had maybe one line of dialogue, she's super fun and had a personality, and I wanted to know her more about her. But yeah, Kitty wasn't great. Yeah. Nice to see her, though. Well, I mean, they were like, yeah. well, we could make it Wolverine because everybody loves Wolverine. And who cares right. about yeah. Kitty exactly. Pride? Well, and, you know, exactly. back, back in 1985, there would have been strong arguments about Kitty Pride versus Wolverine. Let me tell you. <laughs> I, I get their their rationale that, well, we want to tie the movie existences together. And so she the age wouldn't work at all. But, you know, there are other women. Fine. Right. Who's another one? Recast. It doesn't have to be Hugh Jackman. This is all because they screwed up in the first movie and took Kitty Pride's personality and put it in Rogue. In Rogue, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Time for a brief break for our sponsor. Now, in this episode, you've been listening to one of my panelists, Brianna Wu, whose new game from her company, Giant Space Cat, is coming out this week. It's called Revolution 60. And it seems appropriate that perhaps it's time for her and her company to be an incomparable sponsor. Look up. Look down. Look out! Lieutenant Commander Holiday has returned in Revolution 60. In the future, a team of deadly female secret agents must rendezvous with N313, an orbital weapons platform adrift over China. If they fail their mission... It will be an all-out nuclear war. Revolution 60. Danger sign for the world's most deadly secret agent. Who will you trust? And who will you kill? No one can stop the action. No one can stop the danger. No one can stop Revolution 60. Available now on iOS. And thanks to Giant Space Cat for sponsoring The Incomparable. I, I wanted to mention another recasting that, that um, is not quite the same, but um, when and when uh, they announced that they were going to kill Peter Parker in Ultimate Spider-Man, that which oh. is which is really my favorite comic of the last fifteen years, I think, is Ultimate Spider-Man. I was I was upset uh, because again, there's that event fatigue thing, and 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 this is what I keep trying to separate here is there's my event fatigue of you're going to do something called Death of Spider-Man. Is it going to be a cheat or are you going to kill Peter Parker? And why would you kill Peter Parker? He's been your protagonist for 120 issues, and it's very sad. And, and, but you know. What what happened is they had an idea 
for a great story, and they were already telling Peter Parker's story in two different places, for a great story about a new kid with a slightly different uh, history, but who would have, like Peter Parker, um, this uh, power thrust upon him with one twist, which is that now he has Peter Parker to live up to. And uh, that's Miles Morales, whose uh, dad is black and mom is Puerto Rican. And so not only injecting amazing diversity into the Spider-Man costume, which had been sacrosanct, essentially, you know, Peter Parker was Spider-Man. There was no like other Green Lantern or Flash or anything, right? It was Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Look who forgot about the clone saga. Well, (laughs) but that's all Peter Parker, too. All right. right? But this is just like (laughs) another kid got bit by a spider. And that's Miles Morales. And you know what? That's a great. Those are great stories that spun out of there in hindsight, looking at that. And that's a great character to the point where now when they killed peter parker off temporarily in the main marvel line i just kind of shrugged because it's like yeah it's fine i got miles he's good we got got plenty spider-man where that came from yeah but that was that's an example where where um you know there's there's uh i don't i don't think now um any differently about the fact that you know this fantastic spider-man is um an african-american puerto rican kid in new york city i think that's perfectly reasonable and then there's that other thought, which is, what about all the African-American kids and the Puerto Rican kids who read comics who now see somebody who's kind of like them in Miles? Yeah. That's amazing, too. I think there's a need to like shake up the Marvel Universe to a certain extent, too. Um, I read recently how they're killing Wolverine, and it kind of... It kind of stunned me for a minute. You know, like Wolverine is someone that probably makes a lot of money for Marvel. Or, you know, they recently killed Professor Xavier. Um, Again. But I, 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 yeah, Yeah. but you get the feeling this time it's more permanent. Um, As permanent as it gets in comics, right? As permanent as it possibly get, right. Yeah. But, but like with I, Su- I, like with Superman, the idea that we're gonna go, we're gonna tell a story that and Paul Cornell sure. has been writing a lot of that arc, so it's been you know two two years in the making. It's like killing Wolverine right. is telling an interesting story about Wolverine, and then and then having the you know the guts to to do that to a really profitable character, right? <laughs> Even right. temporary. But like, remember when they killed uh, you know Jean Grey, and I didn't think they were really gonna leave her dead. And they did. And, you know, watching Cyclops fall in love with Emma Frost has been a really cool, interesting yeah. storyline. I don't know if you guys read all new X-Men, but it's, oh, I love it. it's currently my yeah. favorite comic. Well, that's Bendis you know? again. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I just think that shaking up the universe it, it, in a long-term way, like with new characters or putting a new twist on it, I think it gives... I think it's painful when it happens, but I think it gives long-term vitality to the universe. I think that's the healthiest way to view comic books, too, because there's the strict comic book constructionist guy, right? Um, (laughs) uh, Which is like, well, you know, the continuity says that this is not – right? There's that argument, which is the comic book guy argument. But – uh, and I've made that and felt that, and I totally get that. Like, but no, you said in this other issue when there were footnotes, and that's what it's like, <laughs> right? But but the other way to view it is is exactly this, which is it's a playground. The continuity is always shifting, and if you can tell, I, Andy, I know I've I've said this to you before. Uh, if you can tell a good story, I kind of don't care about the rest of it. I don't. I kind of don't care yeah. what you do. If the stories are good, and then what we've been talking about today, if it also allows you to tell stories that are a little bit different because your cast is not just a bunch of white guys, then that's good too. And in the end, that's that's what matters. So I, I love it, even though we all know Wolverine is not going to stay dead, like Superman didn't stay dead, like Peter Parker didn't stay dead. In their defense, non-ultimate Peter Parker stayed dead for over a year, yes. which was way longer than anyone thought he well, was going to stay. 
stay dead. And this is my long-winded point, which is which is we can roll our eyes and say, of course, they're not going to stay dead. But being dead for a year, being dead for two years in comic book terms and telling stories for a couple of years, like with Superman, what's the world like without Superman? That doesn't make that any less valid just because we know they're going to eventually come back. Because the point is, can you tell interesting stories while they're yeah. gone? Right. I mean, the all new X-Men thing where they're bringing the old X-Men to the present day, you know, at some point they'll end that up. But it's it's uh, I'm enjoying those stories because it's a crazy idea and it's fascinating to see those characters playing in the current set of characters. That's that's cool. Right. Right. It's also important to note that if, if you could if you pinpoint whatever year it was that you started reading comics. Uh, and then pinpoint the year after that you decided that continuity is being messed up. They don't appreciate continuity. Okay, well, fine. Let's roll back to 1986, 1987 uh, when you fell in love with the Fantastic Four. What if uh, we, we realize that a lot of the things you loved about the Fantastic Four in 1987 happened because they ignored lots of stuff that happened in the 70s. They decided, well, let's pretend that Franklin Richards does not have these powers. So. So, so you have, so you have to, if you you have to accept that a lot of what uh, you love about these comics comes becomes of that that ignorance. The only thing that I, I would defend some part of the fanboy argument, though, is that it's disappointing when DC and Marvel will make these titanic. Ch- they 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 pride themselves on oh we don't we, we don't we like to kick over anthills. The problem is that eventually you wind up with a flat landscape that's very very boring. I, I was I was disappointed like with civil uh, civil war that. We're making these huge, huge sweeping changes, and now we're ha- next year we're having a huge <laughs> alien invasion. Where everybody realizes that ev- aliens invaded twenty years ago, and they already took over. A year later, nobody's commenting about that. Nobody cares. What I would love to, I would really love to see that kind of <laughs> that kind of change. Where it's in like the comic book for, universe. No, I'm, I'm saying for, for that. No, no, I'm saying they 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 are they're 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 not swinging at the pitch. What if they simply said that yes, look, every person on this planet realizes that. Aliens successfully invaded this planet, and only by the skin of our teeth did we manage to get them to go back where they came from and got our planet back. Five years after that, every story has to be colored through a populace that is now terrified of another alien invasion and now has a totally different idea of us versus them. Instead, it's like, okay, whatever. Boy, remember that time last summer when everybody in New York was a spider? Wow, what was that about? Anyway, about the Kardashians last like I feel like this is something I learned to live with with comics. Like I remember being 15 and reading, what was it, the Executioner song with X-Men and like going out to my comic book store every week and trying to hunt down every issue of it and ultimately coming to the conclusion it wasn't really going to have changes. And I, I guess, yeah, I'm always speaking for me here, but the, the piece I've made with it is you have someone that's just trying to tell a good story. And maybe, I, I know, I just try to appreciate the arc of a storyline on its own merits. And I, I don't need it to shake up the, the universe every time. And it's, especially as an adult, where I tend to, you know, buy graphic novels and just read chunks of a story at once rather than fitting into the entire whole, you know? The only thing that gives me pause about this right now is all of the, uh, oh, we're we're really going to do it and we're really going to keep it and we're not going to change it this time. And, and we're going to we're going to make Thor a woman. And that's that. And it's, it's sort of like me think the editor doth protest too much. You know, it's like we know stuff's going to change and you're going to change it back. Or you're going to do something different. Just just say, look, we're doing this thing. See what happens. Yeah, it might be a good story. We hope it's a good story. We think it's good. Hmm. And, you know, 
give it a chance. And and if it works, you know, then maybe they keep it. Maybe they do more with it. There's some comic book cultural baggage, which goes back to I, my memory of DC, how they would always say um, they would have their stories that didn't fit in continuity. And they would say, this is an imaginary story. And it's like, guys, all of <laughs> yeah. your stories are imaginary. <laughs> it's like, don't take it so seriously. That's something I loved oh. about DC versus Marvel, because it seemed as though DC had this attitude of, look, we're, we under we know that you know this is just a comic book. If we came up with if someone pitched us a really great idea of Batman during Victorian times that, uh, fighting Dracula, we decided that wow, that's such a good story. We really have to publish this, and we we understand you are not going to try to f- stick us to where did Batman? How did Batman get into Victorian times? That's great. The, the 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 explanation. Look, it's just a comic book. We can screw around as much as we want. I think it's something that is not used enough. Well, Marvel yeah. did that too. That was the whole "What If" series. Yeah, I just yeah. with with, yeah. with which ran with, out of except, ideas. Except, yeah. except every last page, and then the Earth blew up. <laughs> I am the Watcher. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's a good thing things didn't happen oh. like that, huh, kids? But the imaginary no story said. thing. What got me about it is that what they were suggesting is that then there was the real stories, which were the DC continuity. And it's like, guys, it's all imaginary. And although I again, I understand the comic book fan tendency to be like, I want to catalog it, I want to look at the continuity. But this happened back then. There is maybe it's as I've gotten older and i've read a lot of comics and i kind of like am i care more about the stories and and i love the continuity and all but i just don't i don't i don't sweat it and i i think that i think that helps isn't that an alan moore line from one of his supermans i think whatever happened to the man of tomorrow mm-hmm. that's an imaginary story monty yeah well no i mean that one starts <laughs> off with a caption saying this is an imaginary yeah, yeah. story no uh, that was all that was uh, aren't they all yeah. right yeah exactly right. i wanted to mention a couple we're talking about diversity in comics and recasting characters and you mentioned like the flashes and the green lanterns um i wanted to mention two that are particular uh favorites of mine or one of the one that's a favorite and one that i'm intrigued by um dc made a new blue beetle a few years ago and I like that for a few reasons. I, I like it because it's geographically diverse. It was set in San Antonio, Texas. Oh, yeah. And, that was a great and the, series. And the Blue Beetle is Jaime Reyes. Um, so a Hispanic-American teenager in San Antonio who gets this suit and doesn't know what to do with it. It's got all the things I love about something like Ultimate Spider-Man. It's a kid who gets Ooh. way too much power and has to learn how to use it uh, with a little greatest American hero <laughs> thrown in. Like, I don't know how this thing works. <laughs> they, did, they'd get, they didn't give the instruction oh. manual. So. Exactly. So that that's one that's a, a good example. And that's a case of DC taking some uh, dormant intellectual property and spinning out a new character and a new story that is not a white man in New York City. And then I right. wanted to mention Marvel, what Marvel's doing with Ghost Rider, which is fascinating, hmm. which is Ghost Rider... Um, is now a Hispanic American as well, and is it, it, and he's got a he's got a ghost car. I've only read the first couple issues, but it's really a, it's, that's awesome. But it's like a lowrider kind of ghost rider. <laughs> awesome. It is it is actually <laughs> sounds great. The, 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 ghost lowrider. The first couple issues are really great, and and it is a hmm. uh, it is let's do something with again. It's a known character who's had a bunch of different. There was like the original Ghost Rider was a cowboy on a horse, and then there's the famous Johnny Blaze. Nicholas Nicholas Cage <laughs> yeah. uh, version on the motorcycle greatest and then, movie and, ever and, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah Ghost Rider greatest movie you heard it here first folks. that movie's fun 
He makes some really neat choices in that movie. But but I really like this <laughs> okay. this idea that now <laughs> there's a, it's another Reyes too. It's Robbie Reyes and he's got a car and he's in East LA. And but it's still, you know, demon and fire and all of that. And it's just like, you know, that's a fun spin and I love that. Like a, a writer's got a good idea and and like I said about this kind of brain drain of of of, of indie creators not wanting to bring new intellectual property to Marvel and DC. Well, this is something that very clever people still want to do which is play with the characters that they that they know and like and that belong to marvel and dc so i love to see that kind of stuff playing around with these characters like blue beetle and ghost rider yeah i have a i have a i have a question for you guys so if you think about like my frame of reference is you know i was a teenager in the 90s so you know one of the things is it it seems like nerds have won everything since then you know like you couldn't really work in tech or be interested in tech back then. And now it's completely mainstream. Everybody loves it back then. Not everybody read uh, comic books and now everyone loves comic books. And I guess my question I would ask you guys is it seems to me that a cost of nerds having kind of won everything is you've got to share your toys now to a certain extent, you know, like now the audience for comic book movies isn't, you know, a bunch of white guys, it's women, it's African Americans, it's Latinos. And, you know, especially as here in the United States, as it's becoming more and more diverse. I mean, are you guys going to be okay with, you know, the heroes that we see reflecting that a little more? As for me, I'm going to start reading comics from the 40s. I'm just going to go back to the 40s and read <laughs> yeah, the forward from there. there. Just, just stay you know, there. You just, are going yeah. to be amazed yeah. at Wonder Woman. In my yeah. fortress. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm going to say, you know, speaking of characters who uh are surprisingly diverse, uh one one of the characters I've loved in the last few years is Renee Montoya, who was created for Batman the animated series, became part of the comic book continuity, and then after Gotham Central and the 52 became the question. And and here is a Hispanic lesbian woman as a masked hero. And she's still going, as far as I know. Yeah, and I'll throw in um, Miguel O'Hara, the Spider-Man 2099, which they recently brought back and gave him his own yeah. series, which unfortunately yeah, isn't yeah, very good, yeah. but it's another example. <laughs> oh. He's the Irish Hispanic uh, from the uh, guy Spider-Man from the future. Um, but so I, I, I mean, to, Brianna, to answer your question, for me, it's like it doesn't bother me because, like I said, I really love Jaime Reyes as the Blue Beetle. Right, I thought that right, was really right. great. Also, by the way, yeah. it's not just that character, but that that it's not New York City. I thought that when they brought um, oh, Scarlet yeah. Spider, <laughs> Scarlet Spider was set in Houston, and they did about twenty issues there, and it was just like, and I, I think they're moving. Who are they moving to San Francisco? Oh, they're moving Iron Man to San Francisco. Like they moved the X Men a few years ago. And it's like that's great. Not because I, you know, I live near San Francisco, but because it's like it's nice to get get tell some stories that aren't in New York City for once. Marvel has always had kind that of diversity with the yeah, X-Men, yeah. the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, Power Man, Iron Fist, and Doctor Strange all living in like the same city. Like five blocks away from each other. <laughs> Stop attacking this city. It's like Greenwich Village. You know, it's just all now superheroes. That, now, that, and... now, that, now that not all the artists live within like Subway yeah. Fair of New, downtown New York, <laughs> and like, well, actually, I am kind of familiar with San Francisco, so I could draw a city that is not in New York. Oh, wait, that's actually possible. Yeah. Uh, I'd um, like to mention what I think is one of the most successful diversity recastings that there's kind of two kinds of character recastings. There's the kind we normally talk about where a new character is going to be this hero. Like this 
Spider-Man was Peter Parker, but now Miles Morales is putting on the costume. But there's the other kind where they just take a character and now this character has a different background. Hmm. They usually can't do that in regular continuity. They have to wait for a reboot. But when the Ultimates series started, they made Nick Fury black. Right. And it worked great. And for once, nobody complained about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because he was... I'm sure at the time, somebody complained about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I, I definitely complained about it. But not not because the character was made black, but because the character was made into Samuel L. Jackson. (laughs) Which I, which I thought was incredibly lazy on the part of the artist to say that, well, instead of creating and uh, uh, creating a, a, a black man that we think that will will be cast appropriately for this, we're going to take someone that everybody already knows and already associates with being a real badass, and therefore that will be a shortcut for me as an artist. I don't have to develop this brand new. And so as it turned so out, I, I it's all been back around that. now because but, yeah. that that now then they cast him as Nick Fury, and now it's like okay, it's yeah. yeah. But like, at the, okay, well, at the time, I, at the see, time, but, it was let's draw this character like an actor because it's shorthand for what this character is going to be. It's totally but, true. Lazy, lazy, lazy. What I, I think see, is I don't interesting think I, as someone who draws for a living, like I had to when I create 3D models, I have to you know create mathematical orthographic sketches, and mm. I've never seen that as laziness. I've always like imagined in my mind that when they cast someone for a Marvel movie, they make them come in and they take different pictures of them from different directions. So they have reference material. So the character looks consistent. Um, so that's always been my take on that. I don't think there's any cynical laziness well, about it. What, I think what, what, happened, I think what happened is common. he looks exactly yeah. like Samuel Yeah, L. and it, this predates the movies right. by, a, yeah. Long, yeah. by yeah. a long time. They actually literally hmm. said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if Samuel L. Jackson was our new Nick Fury? Somebody give him a call and see if he's okay with it, and then they drew it to look like him. And then what happened oh. is like five years later, ten years later, they, ca- oh, they cast him mean. as Nick okay, Fury. Right. Yeah. And so, okay, yeah. Retroactively, okay, little, it, it, yeah. it seems okay. Okay, and then and then of course what right. they did is that was so successful that in the mainstream Marvel universe they basically introduced Nick Fury's son, um, who who he had with a with an African American woman who's a black right. Nick Fury, and then said he's Nick Fury Jr. But we'll call him Nick Fury, and then the old Nick Fury disappeared, and it was like what? let's just say that this is Nick yeah. Fury, okay? Because <laughs> this is this is this is another one of those things where I I wish that if I wish that the editors just had the little bit of, had the guts to simply say occasionally there'll be the first page of a comic will be just a little memo from the editors that saying yeah you know and I know why we why we decided to do this it's all it's all for the good but we're not going to pretend that there is a story reason why we decided to introduce no, this character. There's yeah. a footnote. It's like, hey, Nick, asterisk. And at the bottom it says, Nick is black now. Okay. Yeah. On the Burns <laughs> and Allen show, <laughs> a million years ago, George Burns came out and said, the guy who was playing our neighbor isn't with us anymore. Here's the new actor. He's our mm-hmm. neighbor now. And they just got on with it. Yeah. Yep. And, but what I think is interesting about the Nick Fury situation is there are people out there complaining that Johnny Storm is going to be a black character or that Heimdall was a black character in Thor. Right. Speaking of the wire. They don't seem to have noticed <laughs> another character mysteriously turning black on the way to the movies. That's all I wanted to say. But that that actually does, to, to me, that, that, that addresses the question. I think I... Uh, I don't know if I have an opinion on whether sharing uh, that comics becoming more mainstream involves sharing uh, comic books with people who are not white dudes. 
I think it's to me. I think the lar- the louder voice is that now we're sharing the comic universe with people who are expecting comic books to be more like movies and more like TV shows, and are not. They didn't grow up with the idea that okay, you're going to be following the story for a year and a half, and there's going to be at least two or three years worth of useful backstory behind it that you're going to have to sort of track alongside it. I think that that's the bigger influence now than the uh, than anything else. But is that bad? Oh no no no. Uh, well, yeah, no yeah. no. I would I, I wouldn't say so because uh, anything that uh, anything that that brings anything that makes a comic book that people enjoy that's a great thing. And if it makes a hundred people enjoy this issue, that's that that would not have enjoyed it before. That's a positive thing. Even if along the way you cheese off two or three people who had been buying that comic for about two or three years, it's all about. I think it's a there's a there's a continuity of people coming in and people leaving. If 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 Marvel's business plan is that we are going to hook somebody at age thirteen, and when that person is forty five, we're going to make sure that we're still making that one person happy. That's a good way to eventually have an audience of eighty people. I'm very, very glad that there, even when uh, I keep coming in and out of certain Marvel comics, I did have to stop reading Fantastic Four. Uh, I actually had to make it a new mission rule saying, no, under no circumstances, Andy, are you allowed to buy another Fantastic (laughs) Four comic? Because every time you buy one now, you just are never, never pleased with it. I'm. I. I. I wish I could still read that book because I've been reading it since I was a teenager. But I have to acknowledge that if this makes, if the changes that they've done to this book make it more approachable, more readable, and more importantly, more relevant to a 2014 audience, I got absolutely no complaints. I got 20 years of real of a lot of fun out of this book. It's. It's so selfish of me to expect a comic to stay the way that I like it, or only to introduce yeah, changes yeah. that I approve of. I I, find, I feel like as a long-time comic book reader, that kind of ebb and flow is, is just part of being a comic book reader. I love X-23. I love female Wolverine. She's one of my favorite characters in the entire X-Men universe. But, you know, her one-shot series, there was a certain point with that where I'm like, I just can't read this. It's, it's so <laughs> terrible. We've all had moments yep. like that. And... I don't know. I feel like it's just that ebb and flow of it that you you have books that you like and they make changes or you know more frequently they don't they lose the really awesome artist and the quality of it takes a dive and you know and then you look at other books and you learn different stories. I think that's I think that's the fun of being a comic book reader is is never knowing when you go to the store like what awesome new series they're going to come up with. I think it's fun. You know, I think a lot of the reaction, and I, there are two reactions happening here, I think. And definitely yeah. one reaction is uh, from people who are upset because uh, at its root, they're not as interested in seeing a woman be Thor as a man or a black man be Captain America as a white man. I do think those people mm-hmm. exist. But I do think yeah. a lot of this is because the difference between movies and comics. When they say Johnny Storm in the new Fantastic Four movie is going to be Michael B. Jordan, people, some people will say things about it. But it's like, you know, like with, um, you know, other examples where you are making a new movie and you've cast in a different direction, people will be like, all right, it's a movie, whatever, um, because it's new and it's not like the old movies and whatever. But uh, with comics, there is that that uh, core of like. Uh, but wait a second, this is supposed to be the same guy as before. And the, the Nick Fury example, Nick Fury Jr. is a great example, which is these kind of torturous, uh, how do we make it fit in continuity, as opposed to just saying tell a tell a good story. And I think that that is what, what makes people um, 
unnecessarily maybe angry, but I, who am I to judge? Makes them angry is because it is not just seen as a creative choice for a particular work, but seen as being kind of a rewriting or unwriting of this continuing story that's been going on. And I get it. Uh, but at the same time, this is the this is the challenge, just like it's the challenge for the Star Trek producers when they said this is going to be an incontinuity reboot of Star Trek, is you can't just make Spock black in the right. reboot if you do that, because you've said it's part of continuity and the burden changes and they end up putting Carol Marcus in a shuttlecraft and she just has her bra on and it's a whole problem. <laughs> right. Uh, right. But at least they're adding a woman. So right. I and will, I, I, I firmly believe that. that's right. why they yeah. did it. <laughs> yeah. They, sure. they wanted sure. to add another woman to the cast because there was only the one. I think it's also important not to not to hear somebody out when they have an objection because you don't necessarily know the reason why. Uh, I thought that Michael B. Michael uh, Michael B. Jordan instantly made me interested in the Fantastic Four I movie know. because yeah. I, I, I I've seen him in his movies. As soon as you, I would not have I would not have put him on a list of ten people that I would cast because I probably would not be thinking about uh, a, a, about a black person in that role. But wow, he has exactly the right attitude, exactly the right personality in his movies. That's such perfect casting. But none, nonetheless. I'll have to admit that uh, who, who was who was the uh, on, on Star Trek Voyager the Black Crewman the Black Vulcan? Uh, oh, Tuvok. Tuvok, Tuvok, right? Tuvok. Tim Russ. I, I have to say that I I really that 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 made the record grew skip for me because for me it was uh, my first for the first like eight episodes it's like but every time like Paramount every time you have cast an actor as a Vulcan not only have you gone for a white person and then put you know little greenish makeup on him you have always chosen the not only just white but the the same sort of angular sort of features and now you're giving me the first vulcan that does not look anything like all of the vulcans you've seen before is there a really big story but it was it really did take me mm. well it, a while to adjust yeah. and it doesn't mean that oh you can't there's something wrong with this decision it's like it's you're tell you've told me something for 30 years and now you're telling me something different your story has changed and well, now i don't know why to pole looks like looks at all but kind of bony and angular too a little bit too in uh-huh, enterprise uh-huh. so yeah. so okay voyager expert um, yeah, is here yeah. with us. Did, is, is, there, is it ever addressed? That, is the racial no. is the racial com- nope. composition? I don't know what happened, Monty. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> is the racial composition of Vulcan and Tuvok um, being uh, dark skinned instead of light skinned ever mentioned at all? I've seen every episode of Voyager like ten times. I do not remember that ever being addressed. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, I just. I mean. I mean. Andy's not wrong. They did kind of cast like I want a Nimoy type for every Vulcan that that we. That I have we to saw. be honest. I have. I have never thought that thought for even two seconds. Like the being surprised that Tuvok was. Black. I think Tim Russ's performance yeah, is yeah. dead on Vulcan, and he does yeah, a probably yeah, good job. I got, so, yeah. it's I got awesome. over it. It's, it's just that again, I assume that at some point there's going to be the episode in which this is addressed, and it did take me a few episodes to get past that and start to just say, okay, he's a Vulcan. For for reasons that don't matter. This is casting to type, right? And this is one of the problems is when you have a legacy of casting to type, where the casting right. is about we are going. To, the type is it's a white man, <laughs> and now yeah. you're right. saying, well, right. no, right. well, right. I, well, no, not, and, not but, quite. I mean, it's 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 like uh, imagine imagine that they had a Klingon who did not have ridges on his or her forehead. They it's did like, that. We don't like well, to talk well, about that. Yeah, yeah they had a whole series like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm saying that when they when they re, when they redid it, they simply said that they, they did again. They didn't want to have to put that little like Don Potter came asterisk. Realize Star Trek fans, we did not have the technology to do really cool makeup in the '60s. So please accept that all Klingons always look. That's like That's basically this. what they did. They said right. these are Klingons now. 
right. Yeah. yeah. And that was... See, but I, I have to agree with you, Jason. Yeah. I, I, I just strongly have to agree with you. I, I think that I think that you're dealing with legacy problems there. And the problem is so many of these characters, Star Trek, comics, um, Doctor you know, Who, so Doctor many Who, of these sure. really mythic, important characters to us, they come from an era that was even more racist and sexist than today. And it is, I think like we're just so used to it being white men that you don't even notice it at a certain point. And it's, yeah. The yeah. argument isn't, I don't want women characters. The argument is Thor's not a woman, but but the problem right. is if you, if you literally but, exactly. look at this exactly. cast exactly. and say, don't change it. What you're saying right. is, you know, something's got to give because they are all or largely they are all men. So yeah. how do right. we do this? <laughs> when you mentioned Dr. Who, you reminded me of uh, Neil Gaiman got into a small internet kerfuffle when he when he was being asked mm-hmm. about his opinions about what if you cast a woman as as a doctor as the next doctor, and he said he didn't think that was a good idea. And I, I'm not going to try to quote him because I I, I don't remember the exact details. But he did. Could you do his to, voice at he least? Did, he did have to do. He have to do had to do a follow up to explain in more details, and he has no problems. He has he has no disagreement with a female Doctor Who, but knowing what the storyline is right now, he knew that if they cast a woman in this in the role right now, they really would have to make. A storyline about why is the first this why is this the first regeneration of the doctor who is not uh, who is not a not a not a man and for that reason he felt that he wants to he, he felt that it would, it would be a good idea to tie up some really pressing imminent storylines because it would be a distraction at this point so that's the sort of thing that sometimes you confront you have to look at the effect on the audience that if you've been it's sometimes i don't think it's as easy to uh change the gender, cast a person of a different gender or a different uh, ethnicity without having to factor in how is that going to affect your ability to tell the f- next three episodes of the show. And to, to be his credit, Neil Gaiman's the one who wrote the fact that Time Lords can change their genders into ca- right. into canon. Yeah. In an episode of his, he wrote that into canon. So now it's there. It's sitting right there. I, I was very disappointed by Doctor Who being another white dude again. And I, I don't know. I, it sounds like I, I'm, I'm trying to hear where you're coming from. And the pattern I'm seeing again and again is it, it feels like to you, you place a really, really high importance on this story, like like working within your framework and the way that you, you understand the story. It's not that you have any objection to these changes. It's that you really value it fitting in with this this world that you know. And I think like the difference I have here is I feel like I feel like I'm willing to fudge that a little bit to get more representation there. I mean, it's, I would tell you straight up, I'm more interested in representation if it, even if it means altering the story a bit or making it uncomfortable. That, no, and I, I, no, I, I absolutely see that and I absolutely, absolutely respect that. Um, for me, it's, it's more of a generalized thing where a big thing for me, whether I'm watching a movie, a TV show, reading a book, I feel as though the creators of this get to write whatever rules they possibly want Mm -hmm. they basically tell us here is the composition of the air here is the gravity here are the laws in this land here is what how fast you can go on the roads and i think that when you get three quarters of the way through and you said that yeah i know that for the past 400 pages we told you that the air people breathe oxygen in this in this world actually now we're going to tell you that here's about eight thousand people who breathe nitrogen and we're not going to explain why 
it's not that that's necessarily a mistake, but that really there's a part of my brain that's processing. But wait a minute, you told me the rule was that nobody on this planet breathes nitrogen, and now you're showing me eight thousand people who breathe it, and you're acting like that's not something that I'm supposed to sort of skip over. That sometimes uh, some stories they do make it like 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 I would posit for for my own perception that. They did posit that Vulcans are a very insulated society that have a very, very consistent appearance that, again, so much so that you could get nine, you'd get 90 white dudes in the casting call and say, okay, all but three of you go home because only three of you look like Vulcans. That's why that's sort of it, – it, it doesn't become a problem for me, but that means that now there is – a percentage of my CPU that's running that as a background process is why is there a black Vulcan? And that, that's, that's, okay. that's, that's a little bit like having you know seaweed on the front of your yachting keel that's racing. It's like, why do you want to put <laughs> that extra 2%? Why not just knock, why just slow this down 1%? I guess it's not, and, and I do appreciate that's that, uh, I, I do agree with your with your your position that sometimes okay if you if you confuse people for a few episodes that's all to the good because we need to have better res- representation out there that is something that I definitely uh, support. I like the idea of them taking Thor and making him a woman. A because it's a crazy daring thing to do to take <laughs> yeah. arguably one of the most manliest ridiculously manly <laughs> characters and say he's a woman now he has the same hair but. Let's see what that does. <laughs> Partly because for so many of the really iconic uh, characters, you can't do that because some jerk in the 30s put man right in their name. Ooh. Right. Yeah. You can't have yeah. a lady Spider-Man or a lady Superman or a lady Batman Ooh. because they're X-Man. But he's not Thor-Man. Right. <laughs> I, I just want to start singing, uh, Thor, you'll be a woman soon. <laughs> the, uh, oh, but, but Thor won't. Well, okay. well, one of the things that I like about the, the way that they're handling the Sam Wilson um, Falcon taking over as Captain America is that is that is happening in, in something we already have seen, which is there's a storyline involving Captain America and he uh, sort of sacrifices himself and has the super soldier serum neutralized and becomes an old man. And so he can't be Captain America anymore. And we've seen this in the past where it's like he's incapacitated. He's dead. They had Bucky put in the in the Captain America suit a few years ago. Um, at- they had the Punisher. Yeah, so so in this case, there's there there is it actually is happening at a point in the story, and I don't know what the story is with with Thor, but I I, I feel like you know sure you want this stuff stuff to happen if you're in an ongoing story, you want it to happen organically, and and that, I think that I think that definitely is better. This is well, this is this is I, I think this I think this affects how a lot of people react to this thing in general, no matter what, what who the character is or what uh, or who uh, gets into the costume. I think. Uh, I think that for me, what makes some sometimes it works, or sometimes I'm more open to it than other times, is that there are characters that I feel as though this is a costume and identity that lots of people can inhabit, like Ghost Rider, where this is just there. It, it's a, it's a, it's it was, it's it seems as though the person inside is not as important as that costume and that skill set and that role in the Marvel Universe. And then when you plug more different people into it, you get to see, it's kind of like 100 bullets. If you give the same, here's, here's a, a idea that we're going to apply to a, a series of different people. And part of what makes the character so strong is that you see how different people would react to this. Other characters like Spider-Man and Captain America, I feel as though Steve Rogers and Peter Parker are kind of non-negotiable. The same thing with with Batman. If it's not Bruce Wayne, you've just got someone else 
keeping the suit warm while Bruce went while the real Batman is not there. Um, Thor is different because it's great conceit where you have here is a hammer where if you are worthy of picking it up, you get, you become the god or goddess of thunder. It's gender indeterminate. Um, this is I I think that that's a that's almost a good topic for an entire show. That there, what is the difference between an identity and the person inside the suit? Again, I I can't. It's hard for me to get I, I get past the idea of someone else in the Spider Man suit. Captain America also. I don't feel as though you can just simply put someone else in the costume and you know the contents of it are interchangeable. But that's certainly not something I feel about every character. So there was a time that I would strongly agree with you. You know how much I love Spider Man. It's one of my favorite characters, and Peter Parker, and how upset I was at what happened to him in the two different arcs that they've had. And yet, um, you know what? I love Miles Morales, and I don't feel like I feel like he's telling a story that is. Definitely a Spider-Man story, even though he's not Peter Parker. So I think it can be done. And what I love about this Sam Wilson arc with Captain America is, boy, Cap being Captain America is a lot to live up to. And there's got to be a lot of dramatic potential in that, right? Of of saying, you know, Steve can't do the job anymore, and you you work with Steve for a lot of years, and you got to do this. You got to serve your country. This is what you have to do now. That's an interesting story to tell but my the existence of miles and how much i love miles shows that even though i thought you know spider-man always had to be about peter parker um it didn't turn out to be true although i wasn't interested in otto octavius as (laughs) spider-man i miles morales puts the you know points out that that doesn't have to be the case well and and, uh for instance having brought up batman i I should also bring up batman beyond which does a really good job of putting someone else in the suit but still telling interesting stories about bruce wayne well, wasn't Dick Grayson Batman and in the mainstream? Was, oh yeah, yeah, for a yeah. While? yeah. Lots of people have been Batman. There's a whole uh, world full of Batman Incorporated mm-hmm. recently, mm-hmm. right? You can get so attached to these characters, but we've all had that moment when we're reading a comic book and it's the same story, the same mm-hmm. villain, the same conflict. Mm-hmm. The same thing happening over and over and over again. Like with Wolverine, who is about to die. You know, what frustrates me about Wolverine is it seems to follow a really predictable formula. Wolverine is fighting someone. He suffers. He's nearly killed. You know, he heals despite all odds. And then he comes back and kicks their butt. And, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's it's been such a formula for so many years that shaking it up. Yeah, yeah, it's, it happens all the time. That's so, the formula of Hulk Hogan wrestling matches, too. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, and I just, I, I again, I think sometimes these changes are painful. I'm a huge X-Men fan. And, you know, Xavier dying was, was difficult for me. Or Jean Grey dying was really difficult for me. But, like, if you read all new X-Men, like all the things with Cyclops being unable to control his powers and his past self coming to, like, stop his current self from becoming evil. I mean, it's a really great story. And I just, I think there's so much potential here that just being a better, more exciting story. And we get to do diversity. So it's two awesome things at once. Yeah. And it can, it's, I would raise the specter of Uncle Ben. Literally, like the ghost. Peter, with great power, <laughs> becomes great. I was, I was thinking of rice myself. I think, I, I think the strongest stories keep a foot in both ideas, that 
continuity and establishing that whatever happened, as as Jay Michael Straczynski said about the difference between uh, Babylon 5 and uh, Star Trek continuity, not only does stuff happen in Babylon 5, but stuff stays happened. I think you need hmm. to have faith in both ideas of change and also uh, honoring uh, honoring what came before so that it, has, it can have some continued relevance. Uh, imagine that if Uncle Ben... Shot by the shot by the robber, and then five years later, or or let's say uh, in 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 Marvel time, let's say eleven months later. Oh, it turns out that the robber was actually a, a first person who worked with Uncle Ben at the CIA at a secret job. He had to fake <laughs> his death to do this, but now he's back and he's fine. We would have missed this towering event that redefined and reshaped this person's life. Sometimes I think that when we shake things when marvel is excited about shaking things up every two years they're turning their back on that opportunity of giving that richness that that sort of umami to the story that can't happen if aliens invade everything take over the entire world and a year later nobody cares but i will say i would love to see the story where uncle ben comes back and he has to deal with well here's this thing that changed me but now it turned out to be a lie. What do I do? Do I keep doing that wow. because I'm a hero, no, or do I no, keep doing such it? Such a hack. That, that would well, be an, such a hack. That, that would be an imaginary story, David. Oh yeah. yes. <laughs> and weren't there like nine what if? What if about that? Yeah. <laughs> I think one reason people don't care about last year's alien invasion is that at one point, uh, I think it was DC Comics had a rule that their entire history took place in the last thirty years to keep their characters from getting too old. So you had to look at every alien invasion that had ever happened. Like, you'd look at Batman's huge publication history, and you'd have to figure out that he had become Batman, met Robin two days later, then they fought the Joker at 9am and the Riddler (laughs) at 2pm, and then Starro, the thing from beyond space, attacked. It's it's like the Cosmos Cosmic Calendar. Yeah, eventually you got to stop caring about the alien invasions. Well, it's like was, it's, it's like Mash. It's the you count the days that happened in Mash, and you realize it's yeah. more way more days than happened in the Korean War. So <laughs> I guess did we see different parts of what, the same day in different episodes of Mash? It's I yeah. Try uh, parsing out all the Christmas episodes. You yeah. don't have that many Christmases. There's not to that work many with. Christmases. But You're but right. there is one episode that takes place over the course of a year. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. is so, really screwed up. And the, and, the, and the central theme is the Sears Roebuck catalog. Now, that's <laughs> dynamic storytelling. Well, it's like how that episode of Get a Life where Chris Elliott dies at the end. Oh, wait, that's every episode, every episode. of <laughs> Get a Life. So. Uh, all right. Oh. I, we, are, we are out of time. This has been a fascinating conversation. There's much, yeah. more, there's much more we could talk about. Uh, Andy already suggested a topic, so we've got, we got more. But this is, I mean, this is, these, are, these are like uh, comic books in some ways. Or, you know, they, these are like the stories we, the, humans have been telling around campfire for years and they may yeah. since it's yeah. the dawn of humanity and they change and they grow and sometimes there's probably some guy at the back of the campfire who says no didn't in the last story that you told by this campfire you say that his mother was from the east but now you're saying she was from the south it's like yeah well whatever you know they were con- continuity around the campfires in the caveman days i think even happened then how many different names has john watson's wife had yeah, you know. exactly, exactly. So it's it's it is about storytelling and about about um, how we all tell these stories in our own minds that that we read and we catalog them, and then this idea of making change. I think that's fascinating. I, I do think that you know we have to salute. Um, uh, the the publishing companies for doing. I mean, I, I can say it's even if I say it's a a um, a, a, a promotional opportunity because it totally is that let's go on the view let's go on the colbert rapport the fact is they are 
um, by making this, they're not just making their um, their intellectual property and their cast of characters more diverse, but they're telling some stories that maybe they haven't told before. And I think that's yeah. I think yeah. that's good too. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, in the end, Wolverine's not going to stay dead. And who knows? These other changes may get undone too. Although who knows where they might lead? Because that also happens that there are temporary changes that end up being awesome, and those characters stick around because those were stories that people. That resonated with people. So that's yeah. a good thing, too. They're I not think. really going to replace these classic X-Men with a whole bunch of new guys. <laughs> that's right. So anyway, I would like to thank my guests for this stimulating conversation. David Lore, thank you for being here. Anytime. Monty Ashley, thank you for bringing your um, knowledge of comic book <laughs> history. <laughs> I resent that. Um. <laughs> yeah, it'll be redacted. Andy and Iko, thank you so much for being here. It's been a slice. And Brianna Wu, thanks for being back. It was great having you here. Happy to do it. This stuff is so important, so that's why I'm so passionate about it. Oh, I appreciate that. I love comics. I, yeah. I appreciate that. This all started with a conversation about about uh, uh, X-23, right? I love X-23. Yeah. All right, and thanks to everybody out there for listening to us for an hour talk about comics and storytelling and recasting characters and things like that. We appreciate you, too. And we'll see you next time. 